What is going on, everyone? This is Zach back here with another episode of Clutch Crew Sports. And here in today's episode, we are going to do a deep dive into a lot of key NFL analytics and statistics that are measured. So I'm really looking forward to this. We've never really done anything like this. So a lot of our episodes have been kind of, kind of recycled from last year with to- topics and themes and stuff. But this is a completely brand new idea. So we're going to be looking at the best and the worst teams at lots of different statistical categories. Uh, we have a much better lock board to present this week. So a lot more correct picks on the lock board, which is great. And then we will go around the hoop and talk about all the controversies going around the NBA right now, both on the court and off the court. So it should be a fun episode. I hope you guys enjoy. And now let me introduce you to the rest of the curve. What is going on, guys? Eric, your ranting co-host here. Uh, Zach and mine's Jaguars had a ugly loss today that could have been a win against the Colts. A little disappointing there to not get that. But nevertheless, though, excited to be here for another episode of the podcast. And like Zach said, we got a lot to talk about. So hope you guys enjoy it. And what is going on, guys? It's Connor, the co-host with the most and just like the Jaguars had an ugly loss, the Steelers had an ugly tie <laughs> on the first tie of the season that honestly should have been a win had it not been for two fumbles that took us out of field goal range. Um, that hurt a lot, but, you know, <clears throat> who knows? We'll bounce back next week, hopefully. And, uh, you know, I actually, for once, again, like I'm starting to get better at the lock board, thankfully. So, you know, that's always a good thing. Things are looking up there because... I was about ready to pack it in for the season and just try and do like five pointers every week. Just say, screw it, you know, like go for broke. But um, <laughs> thankfully I'm getting a little bit better. So might not have to do that. Yeah, definitely. When we get to the Lockboard uh, segment of the show, we will give an updated standings on how everybody's doing and, and take a look at that. But to begin, we're going to go around the shield and talk about the analytics and statistics and everything that I talked about earlier. So the way we're going to be doing this is kind of, I think we have a total of eight different uh, stats and we have, what we have done uh, for simplicity is we've just taken the top five best teams and the top five worst teams at each of those areas. And we're just going to kind of compare how they're doing statistically versus how their records are. So uh, we have, for reference, all the team's records here to to go back to and such. But really, we're going to be talking about which of these, you know, you might hear on different media sources like, oh, this this is a really important thing. We're just going to be kind of looking at it and being like, does this match reality? Um, which of these matter more? Um, and basically, how important are these? And it's one thing to just look at the numbers and stuff, but it's another thing also to look at the numbers and then compare it to what our eyes say and see if they really match up. So I'm really excited to do this and we'll go ahead and start. Um, These first two, by the way, don't have really any correlation, I think between them, but the stuff that Eric and Connor are going to talk about are going to have some correlation to them. But uh, the first one that I want to talk about, and also too, this is a little bit more of an outside the box sort of thing. So I'm not starting this with the most basic and, you know, simple stat, but it's an interesting one and it's average time of possession. So this is, you know, straightforward as it sounds. 
you with the time of possession that you have the ball on offense per game. And these are averages too. These are all these stats are averages because some teams have had bye weeks, other teams haven't had bye weeks. So to make it fair for that, these are average stats. Um, and so the top five teams for time of possession are the Ravens, the Broncos, the Titans, the Bills, and the Cardinals in that order. So what stands out to me the most about this is really the Broncos because they're the team with the worst record on this list. They are, I believe, let me check, five and five, which isn't bad. Five and five is not a bad record, but it's also, you wouldn't think that five and five would be the second average time of possession. And I think this is really key. The teams that seem to be on this list are teams that can run the ball, like the Ravens and the Titans, but then you have the Bills who don't really run the ball either. So it's like, I don't know. It's kind of weird that the Bills show up fourth on this list, um, but obviously time of possession is a good thing. Every team wants to have time of possession to control the game, that sort of stuff. But for me, it's not super a super great stat to look at just because I feel like a lot of times teams can score quick. You know, you can see a high powered offense who scores in only a couple plays. They're not going to show up on time of possession. Um, And then also too, you can see teams that have big leads in the first half and then they kind of may maybe take their foot off the gas in the second half. They don't have the ball as long. Um, So it's not, super big but also too you do see some really good teams on the top five the bottom five for reference are the seahawks at 32 the eagles at 31 the jaguars at 30 texans at 29 jets at 28 and this makes sense the the bottom of the time of possession makes sense jaguars texans jets those are all really bad teams the eagles their offense has struggled at points and the seahawks as well and, you know, mainly with Russell Wilson being out, if Russell Wilson hadn't been injured, that wouldn't, they wouldn't be 32nd in time of possession. But this is the, the bottom of this makes a lot more sense to me. I think teams that have very, very low time of possession are going to be bad just because lots of three and outs probably associated with this. Lots of, lots of punts, lots of three and outs, lots of turnovers. That's another thing too. turn. If you turn the ball over a lot, you're going to have the ball less. So. That makes sense. The bottom of the teams here makes sense. <laughs> Sorry, that kind of sounded like a Booger McFarland thing there. Like, if you turn the ball over, you're not going to have the ball anymore. <laughs> oh, God, I just did a Booger. Oh, no. Looks <laughs> like. <laughs> um, and so the next stat that I have here to look at uh, is another sort of, you know, off-the-wall sort of thing. It's not, like, unheard of, you know, people talk about this, but it's not number one, I think. And that's penalty yards per game. So I'll just go ahead and say the top five, this, this is the top five best in penalty yards. So these are the teams that get the least amount of penalty yards per game. Number one, the Bengals. Number two, the Packers. Number three, the Colts. Number four, the Rams. And number five, the Seahawks. So Seahawks just came up as 32nd in time of possession, but they're fifth, they're fifth best in penalty yards. Um... And the the most interesting thing in the top five here to me is the Bengals at one, just because they've had that reputation, I think, as like a dirty team. 
And so I would have expected them to have a lot more penalty yards. Maybe not, you know, be in the bottom five, but number one was shocking to me that the Bengals were number one because with penalty yards and this stat, I correlate this to discipline. This is, you know, a lot of a lot of times you can be like, oh, I got screwed. This team got screwed by the refs here. They got screwed by the refs there. But usually that's just for one play. You know, it's usually just one play. Oh, dang, that, that shouldn't have been a pass interference or something like that. And that's just 15 yards or whatever it ends up being. But for penalty yards at this point in the season, you know, th- this is this is truly showing the teams that have discipline and the teams that don't. And to me, this is, I would think, a more important stat than the time of possession one. Um. And the teams you see on here, for the most part, are good, except the Seahawks. Like, you have the Rams and the Packers. The Colts are pretty average. The Bengals are doing pretty good, but we're still unsure of them. Seahawks don't look to be that good. But this is big. I mean, just as someone that's watched a lot of Jaguars games, just seeing the effect of penalties, you know, extending drives for the other teams on offense, getting big plays, getting touchdowns, taken back by penalties, they're a big deal. Um, I really think penalties are a big deal. And this is where it gets real interesting when we look at the bottom five. So at 32nd, we have the Buccaneers. At 31st, we have the 49ers. At 30th are the Bills. 29th are the Vikings. Um, And then 28th are the Browns. So... This is where it gets real interesting because you see some good teams are the most penalized teams. And I do think this really matters. I, I think the Bucks, if they're going to win another Super Bowl and go back to back, they have to improve this stat probably more than any other on their team. They can't, you know, no team that's going to be 32nd, I think, will win the Super Bowl with penalties. The 49ers are bad. The Vikings are average. The Bills, it's another case with the Bucks. You know, you can be great in offense. You can be great in scoring. You can have a great defense, all this. But it's so hard to win when you commit so many penalties. And it's a discipline thing. I think this is an area where it's like you can't improve upon. Uh, you just have to, you know, have a better discipline, which is shocking for some of these teams like the Bucks. Uh, Bills, some of these veteran teams here. And then the Browns, too. You know, that's the team that I've been talking about all season long. Like, oh, the, you know, Browns are going to do this. Browns are going to do that. But it's not that surprising to me to see them here. Like, I still think the Browns are kind of a youngish team. And they have, they have, uh, definitely they have to clean penalties up. So I, I think penalties matter quite a bit and that's why i wanted to include them on the list and it's really interesting to see um see how see which teams are in the top five and the bottom five because i wouldn't have guessed it for a lot of them but yeah so that'll that's time of possession and penalty yards per game and now i'll hand it off to uh connor to talk about (laughs) sorry i was trying to remember who was talking about it but Connor's going to talk about total yards per game on offense and total yards allowed per game on defense. Yeah. So, you know, these are two stats that, you know, Zach was mentioning that, you know, you don't really hear about time of possession or, um, 
you know, penalty yardage as much. These are two stats you hear every single time, like total yards per game on offense and how many yards allowed on defense. So, um, you know, if you look at the mo- the total yards per game on offense, um, at the from one to five, we have the Dallas Cowboys at the top, followed by the Baltimore Ravens, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the L.A. Rams, and the Arizona Cardinals. No real surprises on this list. Um, you know, these are teams that all are – they have great offenses. They're at the top of their divisions. They all have an MVP candidate, um, you know, like Lamar Jackson, Tom Brady, Matthew Stafford, Kyler Murray – um, are all in the MVP conversation. Dak Prescott's not been thrown in there as much, um, but, you know, I would certainly consider him to be somewhat part of that conversation. So no real surprises here. Obviously, you know, you have to be able to put up points on offense if you want to be able to, um, you know, win games. So that's another Booger McFarland thing. You have to have points to win games. Um, but, yeah, it just shows, like, especially, you know, getting yours per game, you know, I think – the big thing with this too is that, you know, you see that these are this kind of, I think in my mind goes a little hand in hand with average time of possession, because, you know, I think those quick strike offenses, they tend to not, you know, have as many yards. They kind of get like these big chunk plays. And then the rest of the time they're kind of sputtering. Um, I think the chiefs are probably a good example of that right now. It's like, you know, you see them come out and they'll come out and, you know, have a bunch of three and outs or, you know, have like one first down drives, but then all of a sudden like 75 yard touchdown pass to Tyree kill, like, or something like that will happen. So um, it's really important to be able to put up yards on offense, especially when you look on the other side, you know, uh, for the least yards per game, you have the Houston Texans, then the Chicago bears followed by the Miami dolphins followed by the Seattle Seahawks and then the new Orleans saints, which um, the saints are definitely a surprise on this list for me. The other four teams are all pretty bad. Um, you know, the Texans, Dolphins, Seahawks, especially, um, and the bears, obviously with a new offense, they're struggling, but the saints, in my opinion, is definitely an interesting one, given that, you know, the five and four record they have, that they're actually a decent team. Um, especially given, I guess you can kind of accrue that to injuries at the moment. Um, I would have loved to have seen what kind, where they would have been earlier in the season when everyone was healthy, when they had, you know, Jameis and, you know, Alvin Kamara didn't play this week against Tennessee. Um, and, you know, obviously they have some issues when it comes to depth at the wide receiver position. So um, seeing them down here is really interesting, but it makes no surprise to me that, you know, the Texans, and I think another common theme that you see with a lot of the, at least the first three teams, I mean, you can even throw the Saints in here too, is that like kind of new offenses, Um, You know, the Texans, they don't have, um, you know, they've been switching around quarterbacks all year due to um, injury problems. Justin Fields is a new quarterback in the league. Tua, even though it's his second year in the league, you know, they're still trying to figure out that offense down there. And then obviously with the Saints, you know, with all the changes they've been going through with Jameis Winston and then Jameis Winston getting hurt and then Trevor Simeon coming in and blah, 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 blah. Um, The only one that surprises me here really is, you know, I guess this is equated to, again, like Zach mentioned earlier with Russell Wilson being hurt. I don't think the Seahawks would be down here if Russell Wilson was playing, you know, normally they're a much better offensive team than defensive team. Um, But, you know, it's interesting to see them down here too, but it's definitely, again, very important. So then you go to total yards allowed per game. Now these are the top defenses in the league. Um, And that is the number one defense right now for yards allowed is the Buffalo bills followed by the Carolina Panthers then the Cleveland Browns, followed by the Arizona Cardinals, and then the Green Bay Packers, um, which the Green Bay Packers are probably the most surprising on this list to me, given 
again, like another team that has a history of not playing great defense. So really goes to show how the well the Packers have improved that area of their game. Um, you know, they managed to shut out the Seahawks today with Russell Wilson back. So, um, you know, it shows a, a major improvement. It's definitely, you know, we say it all the time. At least I say it all the time. And I truly believe that defense wins championships. So, you know, these are the these are the teams that are going to compete for it. Um, but it still is interesting to see, you know, you have the Panthers and the Browns on here, teams that are, you know, kind of average teams. The Browns currently sitting in last in the AFC North. The Panthers are sitting in third in the, in the NFC South. So it's not all top teams here. Although I will say this for me, you know, when you're looking at yards allowed, I hear this term get thrown around a lot. And to me, I wish people would talk more about points per game than they do yards per game. Because I've seen a lot of times where, you know, you have these teams that they'll give up probably around 300 or so yards per game, but they're only giving up something like 14 points a game, which is fantastic. You know, because normally you would think, oh, okay, if you're giving up 350, 400 yards a game, you're also probably giving up like 25 points a game. But that's not always the case. So I think it's really important to look at points per game uh, as a bigger factor. And also, this is another stat that I think in some ways can really go hand in hand with time of possession because teams that can hold on to the ball, they're going to be better in this section of, you know, yards allowed per game because, you know, the less the other team has the ball, the less yards they're going to get. So, and also the less tired your defense is going to be, you know, I saw this a lot last year with the Steelers. Um, You know, they, the offense could never get anything going. They were always going three and out and punting. And even though that defense was spectacular and full of pro bowlers, you know, you're not going to hold someone back forever. So um, it's really important to have that. And then especially, again, if you look at the other side of the coin, you've got the New York Jets with the worst in yards allowed per game. Then the Seattle Seahawks showing up the bottom five of yards per game on offense and yards allowed on defense probably goes to show you why they're at the bottom of the NFC West. Um, Then followed by the Washington football team, the Houston Texans, the same as the Seahawks in both categories and the Minnesota Vikings um, at number five, kind of strange again, you know, with Mike Zimmer being supposedly a defensive guru and his defense is once again, bottom five in the league and yards allowed. So I think the big takeaway, like I said, from this category though, is still just, you know, I try not to put too much emphasis on yards allowed per game. Cause I want to look more at points per game. Um, Cause the team, those are the teams that really are going to be, I would totally believe that if you looked at this thing and you saw teams that are, you know, points allowed per game, there might be a rare exception here or there, but it definitely would line up, you know, almost perfectly, I would think, would be the top teams versus the bottom teams. Um, so, you know, you'd probably have like the Rams and, well, I don't know if you'd have the Rams up here, but, you know, you would have the Bills and the Cardinals and, you know, those teams still in there. But I don't think the... um some of these other teams would still be in here. So definitely two very interesting stats, you know, offense, defense, they're important as always. Um, but now I'm going to let Eric go on with his next his two categories. Two categories. Yeah. So kind of Connor talked about the total yards per game. I'm going to be breaking down even you know more detail within that stat. I'm going to be comparing the passing yards per game and the rushing yards per game. And if you take a look at both of these stats, I mean, obviously with the NFL being, you know, I agree with Connor that defense wins championships. I'm definitely more of a defensive-minded guy. If I was a coach, that would be my route. But the NFL is 
more of an offensive driven league. So we obviously have to take a look at these stats and you can obviously tell if you're looking at on YouTube, I mean, the generally the teams with the most passing yards per game and rushing yards per game for the most part are generally, you know, more of the better teams in the league, whereas the teams that are in the bottom are more of the worst teams in the league, you know, with a few exceptions, of course, but so taking a look at the passing yards per game here at number one, we got Tampa, uh, the Buccaneers, number two, you got the Raiders, number three, the Rams, number four, the Cowboys and number five, the Chargers. And well, I don't know if I would have guessed these five exactly, you know, if I had tried were to try to guess before going into the episode. But at the same time, none of these five teams on this list really surprised me. I mean, with the Bucks, obviously you've got Brady and all the weapons that he has on that team. That's no surprise. Uh, the Raiders going into the season, it's a little bit of a surprise. But, you know, Derek Carr was looking like an MVP candidate after those first few games. While the Raiders have been kind of falling apart a little bit, you know, their passing offense is still pretty good. You know, the Rams, Cooper Cup's been lighting it up this year. So, and they've got Matthew Stafford now over Jared Goff. So that's no surprise. And with the Cowboys having Dak back, that's no surprise. And Justin Herbert's been, the Chargers have fallen off a little bit, but Justin Herbert's still been killing it for the most part. So I'm not really surprised here. Whereas, you know, you go and look at the bottom five, you got the Bears. I think. Zach was telling me before we came on the air that they were only average going into this week. They were only averaging like 120 yards passing per game, which is just insane. That sounds like a stat that would have been the case in like the 1960s or something. <laughs> like just the fact that their passing offense has been that bad is just crazy. But uh, then you got the Saints second. Not necessarily surprised with them either. Just with you know, Winston was struggling and now he's hurt and, you know, they're relying on Trevor Simeon now. Houston, uh, Davis Mills has just been bad and Sam Darnold for Carolina, they're the fourth worst and Jalen Hurts has struggled in Philly and you, you just, you take a look at, you know, these top five teams versus the bottom five teams and you compare their records and for the most part, you know, you can clearly see the difference where some of these other ones with like, you know, time of possession and penalty yards and things like that you know there's some teams where it's like well they're doing really good it makes sense they'd be here or this seems really bad it's a surprise they're here you know especially with the NFL just being a pass happy league it's no surprise that that's how this has gone and then with the rushing yards per game this one's a little bit different uh you got Cleveland at number one and I'm pretty sure the Titans would have been number one if Derrick Henry wasn't hurt but you know, you see Cleveland, though, despite how good their rushing game is, their passing game has not been very good lately. And you can tell that, you know, that's obviously affecting their record. Whereas, you know, you got the Ravens at number two on the rushing game, and they were number two in total yards per game as well. But it does seem like teams are starting to key in on Lamar Jackson a little more. They're starting to figure him out a little bit. He hasn't been as hot here lately. So, it's a wonder, you know, if the rushing yards are going to be enough here. And then you got Dallas at number three. They're in the top five in both passing and rushing. And, yeah, they're, they probably got the number one offense overall. Yeah, they got the number one total yards per game. I'm sure their points per game is probably number one as well. Um, but you can see how that factors into their total stats. Uh, and then the Titans and Colts at four and five. We know 
Zach and I's Jags fans know that you know these two teams like to run the ball with obviously Derrick Henry's hurt now, but him and you know Jonathan Taylor for the Colts. So these are the top five offenses, whereas at the bottom five, you got the Dolphins at number one. Their run game has been non-existent. The Texans, and just like with total yards per game and allowed per game, they're in the bottom five on both of these. And then you got the Jets, Falcons, and Steelers, like, rounding it out. The only one that's really a surprise here to me is the Steelers, just because the Najee Harris has been having a pretty good season. So I am a little surprised that the Steelers were in the bottom five in rushing. They're, that's really the only surprise here that stands out to me. So, uh, But in saying all this, for me, it's not necessarily that passing yards per game is more important or rushing yards per game is more important. For me, it, the best thing is just having a balanced offense. You know, you look at Dallas being in the top five in both, which obviously that's an exception to the rule. But, you know, when you're a defense and you're trying to figure out, you know, how you're going to game plan against an offense, when there's, you know, any given situation and you don't know if the offense is going to run the ball or if they're going to pass the ball, that makes it so much more dangerous versus a team that's pass-heavy, and you pretty much know no matter what, you know, they're going to throw it other than occasionally running it. Or if it's a run heavy team like Cleveland, like, you know, you can stack the box and if you can stop the run, then you can probably stop them. So, like I said, I don't necessarily view passing yards or rushing yards per game as one is more important than the other. You just want to be balanced, be in the middle. That's that's the key for me. So Zach's going to take over for the last two. We've got sacks per game and turnover differential. So I'll let Zach take it away. Yeah, so I'll go ahead and start with the sacks per game stat. And, you know, granted, out of all the this, – this one is definitely, I think, probably out of all the stats, the least valuable to look at as far as, like, how good teams are going or not because – I'll just go ahead and read you the top five best sacks per game. You have the Rams at number one, the Vikings at number two, Browns at three, uh, Bears at four, and Cardinals at five. And so you have the Rams and the Cardinals on this list, on the top five, which makes sense. You know, Chandler Jones, Aaron Donald, and the, the Rams defense, like two good defenses. But then you have the Bears on here, and we've just talked about how bad the Bears were on offense and everything, and the Bears don't have a great record. So it's kind of funny that the Bears show up in the top five on this portion of the list, but it goes to show you that I think with sacks per game, the bigger the bigger concern is not to be in the bottom. And I'll get to the bottom teams in a minute, but obviously it's great to have sacks, but also, too, there's things like, you know, quarterback pressures and hits and, you know, st- there's different metrics and stuff than just sacks. Cause there's, there's times you can pressure the quarterback and not necessarily get sacks. Um, and, and, you know, teams that you quarterbacks that you play also has a, has a big impact on this as well. So sacks per game, very specific category to look at. Um, Top of the list doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. I'll get to the bottom of the list now. So at 32nd, you have the Falcons. 31st is interesting. You have the Chiefs at 31st. 30th, Seahawks. They're on this list a million times. Um, And then the Lions (laughs) go up. The only team team that hasn't won a game, the Lions. 
they're finally showing up on the the stats list here in the bottom and then the Jaguars you have next. So this is where I think it's important not to be on the bottom of this list. Like I said before, I think it's more important not to be at the bottom because, you know, it, it sacks are definitely important. Like, you know, it's, there's everybody knows that, but this is just, I think an indicator of a bad defense. If you're not getting sacks, like it means you have a bad pass rush. Um, and it's probably meaning you're giving up a lot of total yards if you're not getting sacks. I think really that's what this is indicated about. Not a good pass rush, giving up a lot of yards, giving up a lot of points, which I think everybody would say these five defenses are really, really bad. Falcons, Chiefs, Seahawks, Lions, and Jaguars. So that's that's my thoughts on the sacks per game. And then turnover differential is an interesting one. and. Some some people, I think, would say this is the most important. Um, I think most everybody would have turnover differential in like, you know, other than points, which, you know, is obviously points. It goes record than points, basically, like they're hand in hand. But when you look past points and record, um, turnover differential, I think, comes up very high for a lot of people. Number one, you have the Bills. Number two, you have the Colts. Number three the Cardinals, number four, the Packers, and number five, the Vikings. So the Vikings, again, they're an odd case. Like, you know, they show up on second for sacks. They show up on fifth for turnover differential. But then you have them in the bottom categories on, like, penalties and uh, total yards allowed. So it's, like, it's really weird to see them in the bottom on total yards allowed. But they have a, a really good turnover differential uh really good at sacks per game and yet the vikings record let me take a look real quick is four and five so you know that kind of shows you okay there's some outliers here like this is not going to perfectly align standings um but i do think it's very very important i mean all these other teams the colts i think the reason why the colts aren't here is they're just Honestly, I'm a little surprised with the way Carson Wentz is at quarterback. That's surprising to me. I guess their defense just gets a lot of turnovers, uh, which they do have a good defense. That makes sense. Um, Jonathan Taylor doesn't fumble as much. So you really just have to worry about the Carson Wentz interceptions. But the other teams, they they make sense to me, especially with how they've been doing this season. Um, And I do think there was a pretty big gap for the Bills. I believe they had a, a pretty big lead on first place on that um the bottom five teams again kind of similar with the sacks per game here with some of these you have the jets at 32nd the worst you have the jaguars at 31st chiefs at 30th uh, 49ers at 29th and then the ravens at 28th so this is interesting because you have two projected playoff teams, the Chiefs and the Ravens, and the bottom five on turnover differential. I think it can be, you know, the Jaguars and Jets can be explained. Rookie quarterbacks turning the ball over a lot, bad defenses. I think it's no surprise to anybody that that they are 32nd and 31st. Chiefs, total shock to everybody that they'd be here at this point. But then again, it makes sense with their record. Like, it's honestly kind of surprising that the Chiefs have as good of a record as they do 
when you look at this stat. And you also see the Chiefs didn't come up in the top five on any of the offensive stats that Eric and Connor talked about earlier. So that just shows you the Chiefs offense is down this year. And their turnover differential is, I think, a big reason why their offense is down. Defense not forcing the turnovers. Offense, you know, uncharacteristically turning the ball over a lot. 49ers have just been a mess all year, I think. Ravens, that's an odd one. But looking at the turnover differential as a whole, I think this one, looking at this versus looking at the standings, I think it's a little overrated, honestly. I think it's a little overrated. And I'll just check with uh, Connor and Eric real quick about this to see if they agree with me or not. Um, Connor, <laughs> I, um, I don't necessarily think that I agree with you on that. Like, I know there's going to be outliers, like with the Vikings, but, you know, with the Ravens, I know obviously they're still six and three, but, you know, with that turnover differential, like, there's definitely they've definitely had like a couple games this year that they should have lost. And, you know, it was basically like they were playing horrible for the whole game. And then all of a sudden they managed to get some rally going at the end and, you know, fix their problems. Like I was ta- I was actually talking to, a, you know, we had our we have our podcast fantasy league and I was talking to Caleb in there. I was talking with the Ravens, like literally they only have like two really impressive wins this year. You know, they've got the win over the Broncos and the win over the Chargers, which were really good. But other than that, like you have a loss to the Raiders, you have the Chiefs game that like, honestly, like the Chiefs choked that away. Then you have the Colts game where the Colts choked that away as well. Then you have, they got destroyed by the Bengals, the Vikings who also choked their game away, the loss to the Dolphins. And then of course the massive, massive bailout they got from Justin Tucker in the game against the lions. You know, I'm not sure anyone else in the league would kick a 66 yard field goal. So it's, and also like, so the same thing with the chiefs, like these are two teams that in my mind very easily, instead of being, you know, like six and three, five and four could be like three and six and the chiefs could be like three and six as well. Um, so I don't necessarily think it's overrated, um, because I know it's just like having the, turning the ball over is just really terrible in football. Like I know, and even so, if you can, I think creating turnovers is like the more you can get on defense, I think is honestly more important because it's one of those things that you can create a turnover and all of a sudden, like your fortune changes in the worst possible scenario. Like I've seen, this isn't pro but i've seen it happen in college before a lot with appalachian state they're one of those defenses that like i see it a lot all the time where they'll let this team march down the field and get down into the red zone and then all of a sudden they come up with like an interception in the and the uh in the end zone and then they get the ball back and the other team comes away with no points so turnovers are very important and all the, and then like app state will go down and score a touchdown on off of that turnover so you know, that's a 14-point swing right there. Um, so I honestly don't think it's that overrated. I do, like I said, I agree that there's outliers, but I think it's one of the most, I would be up there with, like you said, those people that think it's one of the most important stats in football. I don't know what Eric thinks if he agrees with me or agrees with Zach. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with you, Connor. I, I You pretty much hit the nail on the head, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have much else to add, but I I, I agree with you. I I think it's very important. For sure. I definitely think it's important. 
I, I I'm not saying it's it's yeah yeah uh, yeah you yeah, know you're not you're not, you're not saying you don't think it's not important you just think it's a little overrated exactly exactly so yeah that's uh, that's where I stand on it and so that's just you know a small portion guys when I was doing this research there's so many things there's like like Connor was talking about points per game there's there's a big stat out there called points per 100 yards um oh, which wow. kind of <laughs> i know it combines the points and the yards so it's it's real interesting if you want to do some research you just type in nfl well, like 21 stats you'll see everything well i will say too you, you know if you really want to do research in the stats you can always come up with some crazy stat you know it seems like these networks always seem to be able to come up with something like that you know they'll flash a graphic on the screen like oh this is the first time someone has thrown for 300 yards when it's you know been a when the wind is over 15 yeah when the wind is over 15 miles an hour and it's a slight drizzle and you know the team in november right so you know they always come up with these crazy stats that you're just like where in the world did you pull that out of like (laughs) exactly so yeah it's maybe people have just too much time on their hand with this i don't know but uh the nfl is a big deal so there's a lot going on uh, let's go ahead and now transition to the games of the week preview. So as usual, we pick three games of the week that we think are the most interesting to look at, um, out of the next week's schedule. And I will go ahead and start with the first one. We have the Colts at the bills. So this is a rematch of the playoff game from last year. That was a, a crazy wild card playoff game. You know, Philip Rivers' last game ever played, Bills and the Colts. And I, as a Jaguars fan, actually, we've seen these two teams as our last two opponents, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, the Bills are the home team here. I'm going to pick the Bills to win. My problem with the Colts is I think they're just too one dimensional of a team. To Jonathan Taylor centric, which he's very good running back. I know firsthand he's a very good running back. They have a great offensive line, but other than Michael Pittman, the Colts really have no outside weapons. I mean, T.Y. Hilton is out of it. He's not in his prime anymore. They don't really have great tight ends. I wouldn't say they have any athletic, you know, good tight ends. And Carson Wentz, he he makes games. Or he has plays in every game where it's like, this could be a turnover. Bill's a very opportunistic defense. I'd be shocked if they don't get two or three turnovers on the Colts. And the Bills offense, uh, you know, they got to beat up on the Jets this week. But they're they're coming back to life. So I think pretty easily the Bills are going to win this game. I will go ahead and say Bills 28, Colts 13. Eric, what about you? Yeah, I I just think the I think their offenses are similar. I mean, obviously the Bills are pass heavy, Colts are run heavy. They both have their own strengths like that. But I think the biggest thing is the Bills. I mean, obviously I that sounded stupid. I realize <laughs> they're similar, <laughs> but they're that was that was my booger moment, I guess. But anyway, but I think the Bills defense is definitely better. And I just I just expect the Bills to win pretty easily. I'm going to agree with Zach here. I'm going to say 31-17. What about how about you, Connor? So I do think the Bills are going to win, but I don't think it's going to be an easy win. Just because you know when you when you always look at the Bills defense, you look at the one weakness of this Bills defense. It's always been the run defense. I mean, they let. 
Derrick Henry is obviously Derrick Henry, but they let him run for almost 150 yards and three touchdowns on them. And, you know, the Colts, like Jonathan Taylor is, he's kind of like that step below Derrick Henry now. Like, you know, he's definitely a top five running back in the league. And, you know, the Colts like to run. Um, But I do think what's going to hold the Colts back, obviously, is going to be the differential with the quarterbacks. You know, Carson Wentz is a worse quarterback than Ryan Tannehill. And like you said, the, you know, at least the Titans for them, like they have weapons in the receiving game. You know, they have A.J. Brown, um, you know, Julio Jones played in that game against the Bills, um, you know, and Derrick Henry was a weapon out of the backfield, too. Really, with the Colts, it's just not even really Michael Pittman. It's like just kind of Jonathan Taylor out of the backfield, I think, is their main receiving uh, threat there. So I do think the Bills are going to win. It'll be close. And I think Josh Allen's going to have some struggles against this Colts defense, but I would say Bills are probably going to win 28 to 24. All right. All right. And, oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, no, I, I was just setting you up, man. I was yeah, you up. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. <laughs> yep. So, so later on, uh, four o'clock window, we have the Dallas Cowboys and the Kansas City Chiefs. So I'll let Eric go ahead and talk about that one. Yes. Yeah, so Susan was obviously very happy with the Cowboys performance, beating the beating up on the Falcons. And I don't expect them to have that amazing of a performance again, but I do expect them to beat the Chiefs. Um, it is going to be tough going into Arrowhead. That's a tough stadium to play in. And, you know, if the Chiefs' offense gets hot, you know, they can be hard to stop. But the problem is the Chiefs' offense has been really inconsistent this year. They've been really up and down, whereas Dallas's offense, other than that Denver game, has been amazing. And then the Chiefs' defense is bad, whereas Dallas's defense has been pretty good for the most part this year so just looking at every level like that I think Dallas should win the game I don't necessarily think it'll be easily but I just I think they're going to win I think Patrick Mahomes will make a couple more mistakes and that'll give Dallas some opportunities and maybe Trayvon Diggs will get yet another interception so I'm going to go I'm going to go Dallas 27 Chiefs 20 uh, Zach, I'll let you go next. All right. I am going to pick the Chiefs in this one. I'll say 37-34. I think the Chiefs are going to have a bit of a rebound offensively from how they've been doing prior. Uh, still got all those weapons. Tyree kills a beast. You know, they've got Kelsey. And I think also, too, like, you know, the, the Cowboys are good, but – I don't know. I just feel like they're going to be I, – I just sense a step back with the Cowboys for whatever reason this week. I think I, – I, for whatever reason, I just think it's going to happen. I think the Chiefs are surprisingly going to have a good game on defense. I think the, the Cowboys aren't as much. I do think the Chiefs will get out to a big lead, and the Cowboys will make a comeback. You know, I'll say final score 37-34, but it won't feel as close. It'll feel more like a, a Chiefs big win and the Cowboys coming back late like they did a lot last year. Connor, what about you? So I'm going to agree with Eric and go with the Cowboys here. Um, like, I do agree that I think the Chiefs offense will be better. I mean, they're already looking better tonight against the Raiders. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I think they're going to start to try and find that groove again. But I don't see any way that this Chiefs defense is going to be able to stop Dak Prescott, Ezekiel Elliott, and all those weapons on the Dallas offense. So, um, it'll be high scoring. Um, I'm going to say Dallas wins 35 to 31. All right. Then 
We have a Sunday night game that I know Connor is going to be very interested in watching. We have the Steelers at the Chargers, but I think most people would predict more Steelers fans than Chargers fans at this game. Um, I've seen in the past uh, Steelers Chargers games in in LA. I've seen how that's looked before in the stands, but I'll go ahead and let Connor break this matchup down and see if he's got his favorite team winning. Yeah, well, you know, it'd be nice to uh, rebound from a tie against Detroit. Um, I mean, there was obviously a lot of things going into the tie with Detroit. I mean, Roethlisberger obviously found out yesterday that he had COVID, so. Um, he should be back for the game though, cause he is vaccinated. So all he needs is two negative tests in 24 hours and he should be good to go. Um, but you know, in that game against Detroit, it'll be interesting to see. I want to see if the Steelers can get healthy for this game because there were a lot of injuries happening in that game on both sides. Um, like TJ Watt had a little bit of a hip injury. Um, you know, Joe Hayden had a little bit of a foot injury. Two of the offensive linemen for the Steelers got hurt. So it's going to be really key to, you know, use this and be able to rest and heal up. Um, obviously, bonus side of playing in L.A. is you're not going to have to worry about, you know, crappy weather conditions like there were today as well. Um, it's going to be, you know, SoFi Stadium's indoors for the most part. So um, there's going to be none of that going on. Um, but I do think, you know, this Chargers offense has been struggling recently. Like Justin Herbert, he had a really monster start to the season. But I don't know. It seems like he's just making like rookie mistakes, you know, stuff that he was making last year and he's just, you know, I feel like he's taking a step back. Austin Eckler, they haven't been able to get the run game going because they've been having to play from behind. Um, and obviously with this Steelers defense, you don't want to play from behind. You know, the, the strength of this team is the secondary and obviously, you know, TJ Watt's going to be coming after Justin Herbert. Um, so I'm going to say, and with Ben Roethlisberger coming back, I think they're going to be able to expose this Chargers defense a little bit. It's a little bit on the weaker side. Um, so I think Najee Harris will be able to carve them up and Roethlisberger. He won't be making some of the horribly inaccurate throws that Mason Rudolph was making today. So I am going to take the Steelers. You know, I think as customary with Steelers games this year, I think it's going to be low scoring. Um, but I'm going to have the Steelers winning 21 to 17. Zach, what about you? Yeah, I, I'm surprisingly going to agree with you on this one. I've got the Steelers <laughs> winning. Uh, like you said, I think. Big Ben coming back, I think, will will mean a big difference for him. And like you said with the Chargers, it's it's a trends thing. You know, this league is up and down. Right now, the Chargers seem like they're down on offense. Like, we might have cursed them a little while back when we talked about how good, how amazing their offense was and everything. <laughs> now they've hit a wall. Um, and the Steelers still have a good defense, obviously. I think even with the injuries that Connor mentioned, like, they're good enough as a defense to survive, you know, a few injuries. So um, I, I'm really curious to see how this game goes. I think it's going to be close. I will go ahead and say, uh, you know, we don't, no one predicts this number a lot, but let's go 22, you know, the score 22 to uh, maybe 15, some weird score like that. <laughs> how, how would you even begin to get to that? <laughs> I, don't nice. I don't know. Leave that to your imagination. Eric, what about you? Yeah, I'm just going to agree with you guys here. If this game was being played in like week three or four or something, when the Steelers were off to a slow start and the Chargers were hot, I'd say the Chargers would win easily. But yeah, you know, the trend is favored more in Pittsburgh's direction lately. And, you know, like Connor said, if it weren't for a bunch of crazy things and that bad weather, like Pittsburgh probably beats Detroit today. So, I uh, 
I'm going to go with low scoring as well. I'm going to say Pittsburgh wins 17-13. All right. And let's move on to the lock board now. So, like I said at the start of the show, a lot better of a lock board week all around the board, um, which when you see the current week points, you might not think so, but from where we were a couple weeks ago, it's big improvement. Um, so I ended up getting four points this week. Eric got three, Connor got five, and Nate got zero. So Nate with zero points going to be picking first in the next week's lock board. And now looking at the total standings, this is obviously you know the more important side of things. But you know we're narrowing up still. Uh, I am in first place with thirty-eight. Eric in second with thirty-six. Nate in third with thirty-one, and Connor in fourth with 29. So that's the total standings as of right now. Um, Still not a large gap in all honesty between fourth and first. And let's look at the uh, Lockboard picks from this past week. And Eric, you had the first pick. I'll let you go ahead and tell us what you got right, what you got wrong. Yeah, I had another decent week this week uh not a great week but a decent week so i'll take it but my first pick really bummed me out I, since i had the first pick overall yeah i got first choice of any game i wanted i really thought cleveland was going to beat new england today i felt like that was a pro i was shocked new england was favored going into that um i just was really surprised and i knew zach after the way zach talked on the podcast last week when we were when we previewed that game, I knew Zach was going to want them. So I'm like, well, if I want this game, I better pick it first. So I did, but the Browns just got the absolute crap beat out of them. So that uh, was very disappointing for me. Hey, Nate's was... not here, but I'm sure he's happy about that. <laughs> yeah, 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 Nate, I didn't get the points on the lock board and Nate's favorite team won. So uh, yeah, Nate's definitely happy about that. But um, yeah, bad for me. That was easily my worst lock board pick of the season. So um, but secondly, uh, I went with my Oklahoma City Thunder to beat the Sacramento Kings as a three-point play. Um, I've been very surprised at how my Thunder have been doing. They've been on the upswing, and like Zach talks about when he picks games, you know, he, he likes to look at the trends, and going into the game, the Thunder had won three in a row. The Kings had lost three in a row. So with the game being an OKC, I was kind of surprised Sacramento was a heavy favorite. So I took that, and it took a last-second steal and score to get the win, but the Thunder did win that game and got me three points. So that was my only correct pick of the week. My final pick of the week was more of a attempt to be aggressive and kind of just throw a dart at the wall and see what happens kind of a thing. I took Washington State over Oregon as a five-point play. Oregon was a two-touchdown favorite in that game, but... Washington State had been playing pretty well, and while Oregon had been winning, they were seemingly kind of struggling to win against some of these more inferior teams. So I was like, hey, you know, let me just take a shot at this and see if it happens and get me five points. But uh, it didn't work out. Washington State lost by like two touchdowns, I think. So three points for me, not the best week. But again, I got some points, so I can't complain. Uh, Connor, you had the second pick. I'll let you talk about your games. Yeah, so, you know, the – Best week in the lockboard I've had since like week two, probably <laughs> week two or yeah. week three, somewhere way back when. Um, but I actually managed to get two picks right this week. 
Um, my first pick, I was really glad I was able to get it. Um, um, you know, I, th- I was hoping that Eric wasn't going to take it, and I saw that he was taking Cleveland. So I was like, all right, I'm going to get this. It was a uh, Baylor over Oklahoma, and you know, I had been thinking all year and saying all year that Oklahoma is going to lose at some point, and you know, I thought this has to be the time, especially like since it was Oklahoma was favored by a good amount. It was a three point play um, that they were going to go into Waco and have to play Baylor, who's you know the number thirteen team. Um, I thought that would be a really good opportunity, and sure enough. Baylor came out with the win. Um, it was a very low-scoring game, which was surprising. You know, the Big 12's not really known for good defenses, but um, Baylor was able to do it, and it was really fun seeing uh, Lincoln Riley absolutely melt down at the end of that game. Um, and also that it dashes pretty much any hopes of Oklahoma making the college football playoff at this point. So that was good all around. Um, and then my my second pick was more a bit more of a uh, – one of my normal, usual, unfortunate defeats here, um, LSU over Arkansas. I thought, you know, Arkansas had been very disappointing, and they were going to have to go into Death Valley and play LSU. Um, so I thought that would be good for a two-point play. Unfortunately, LSU did lose in overtime. Um, they threw an interception in the end zone on their possession in overtime, so that was unfortunate. And then, obviously, at that point, all Arkansas needed was a field goal. Um, so they were able to get that unfortunately apparently it's the first time that arkansas has beaten lsu since 2015 so you know good for them uh bad for me um then with my last pick kind of like eric taking his okc thunder i took my charlotte hornets over the new york knicks um you know charlotte had been coming off a pretty pretty bad road trip they lost to like pretty much every single team in the pacific uh division over the course of that road trip but they were starting to, like, you know, get things turned around after that. They took the Lakers to overtime, and then they were able to beat the Grizzlies on the road. So I thought they had a good chance to, you know, take this one against the Knicks at home. And sure enough, they were able to do it, um, led by some good shooting from Kelly Oubre um, near the end of the game. And also Miles Bridges um, looking pretty good. They managed to stop Kemba Walker's revenge path. Uh managed to stop it right in his tracks. Kemba Walker is going to have to wait a little bit longer to get his first win uh, against Charlotte as a New York Nick. And, uh, you know, I said, I thought Charlotte was coming on the up and up and they actually managed to end the Warriors seven game win streak tonight. So, you know, go Hornets, (laughs) but that was good for me. So I got, I was able to come away with the most points in the week, which, you know, it's been a rare, 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 rare thing for me recently. So. Yeah. And now you have the, you have the privilege now of uh, of dropping last in the next. Yeah, I know. I mean, it seems, it seems to be working out for most people. So you know, yeah. Oh, yeah. it never works out for me. <laughs> <laughs> so Nate's not here. He picked uh, Minnesota Golden Gophers over Iowa. That was incorrect. He had Seahawks over Packers. Obviously incorrect on that one. And then he had the Jags over the Colts. Also incorrect, um, although I would have, you know, been very okay if that had gone green. But <laughs> yeah. it's, it's always, a, you know, a little disappointing when you see someone else pick your favorite team to win. Um, but I'll go ahead and share my picks now. I had, uh, with my first round, Ole Miss over Texas A&M as a two-pointer. Felt really confident about this one. Texas A&M is kind of a team all over the place. And... Ole Miss, I'm, you know, a fan of their offense and how they play as a team. So I thought they had a real good shot at that, and they did. They won pretty easily. Uh, This next pick didn't go as well, kind of like 
um, Eric's first pick with the Browns and Patriots, the other big blowout of the week. I had the Falcons over the Cowboys. You know, Falcons coming off a win last week, Cowboys coming off a loss. I thought, oh, okay, that, you know, that means the, the Falcons have a legit chance. It was a five-pointer, you know, so high, high risk, high reward sort of pick. But, you know, foolishly, I picked the Falcons, and that, you know, obviously showed itself. And then in the last round, I picked the Eagles over the Broncos. Uh, not that I necessarily thought the Eagles are that much of a better team. I just feel like uh, two points there and the Broncos, I think, were a bit overrated. So I was like, all right, you know, give me the Eagles. Um, I think I picked the Eagles another week and they almost won for me. It was, it was unfortunate they they didn't, but uh, yeah, this time they did. So fly, Eagles, fly. I, I was like, that's not my thing. Last time I, I just had Susan's um, gonna want to reach Eric across this phone screen and slap you. I will say you're talking you know, on the in a call with a Steelers fan and a Cowboys uh, fan yeah. over there, so that's not a good thing to be singing. <laughs> yeah, well, our listener Steelers Joseph, fans, they don't care at all. That one, he, he's a he's an Eagles fan, so he'll like that you did that. But Sean, Sean Morgan will like it too. So there you go. Every, everybody else, though, it's a no. <laughs> You know what? You know what's the great thing though? Phil, true Philly. I'm not a Philly fan, obviously, but true Philly fans, they wouldn't care at all. Like they would not. I mean, care. They, true Philadelphia fans booed Santa Claus, so you know. Yeah, that, that, that's that's, 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 that's Eagles fans do. for you. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's go ahead and go around the hoop now, and for around the hoop to end the show, um. I thought about different things we could talk about around the NBA right now, but to me, what I've kind of seen, you know, here's the thing is like the NFL has had its controversies this season for sure. John Gruden, Henry Ruggs, Aaron Rodgers, you know, all the football team, (laughs) football team. There you go. That's another one. I'm sure there's more. I'm even forgetting, but urban Meyer, um <laughs> oh, <but>, yeah <laughs> sorry um but the nba is, is not alone in this there's controversies going on in the nba right now as well and i've kind of divided these as some on the court and some off the court controversies and i'll go ahead and start with the on the court so this past week really some ugly Events took place on the court. We saw two, you know, one I would say is like a scuffle. The Miles Turner, Rudy Gobert scuffle basically caused by Gobert. He felt like he was fouled, kind of went to the ground and brought Miles Turner down with him. Miles Turner looked at the ref and was like, you didn't call a penalty for that. And then um, then he kind of gave Gobert a shove and Gobert came in and hugged him and tried to wrestle with him basically and then both the benches got up and everyone started getting all up in arms and it took a big delay probably suspensions for lots of people and fines and everything so real big you know scuffle in event in a game which that happens you know it's, it's nothing new or anything but the fact that it also took place the same week i think it's the next day from the Jokic and Morris scuffle that happened with the Nuggets and the Heat. So, you know, 
It's a great picture Marcus you got Morris. right there. I, I like seeing his face like, oh! Yeah. And Jokic is like, whoo! <laughs> I love it. Um, basically, Morris on the Heat, um, he gave, he did something to Jokic, like some sort of, some small, like, dirty or something. I forget what it was, like a he, shot like, or Jokic something. Was, I think he was trying to shoot, like, a half-court shot at the buzzer or something. And, like, as yeah. he was going to shoot it, Morris, like, Hip checks, like hip checked him or something, or yeah, kind of bun from the side. That's that was, what, that was what started yeah. that. That's what started started it. So Jokic was not happy with that because the refs didn't say anything. And then he, and then Morris isn't looking; he's just walking off. And then Jokic, you can see it kind of in his eyes. He just he's like he had enough, and he just snapped, and he runs over and just puts his shoulder into Morris, knocks him to the ground. Um, totally caught off guard by that. And then, of course, the Heat players in his defense come up and, you know, get into Jokic's face, and the Nuggets players come and get in their faces. And, you know, similar sort of deal. You know, Morris looked like he was, you know, injured from that. And Jokic got a suspension, ejected, all, all that jazz. Um, but what do you guys – do you guys think this is not – the question I'll ask is, do you guys think this is nothing, or do you think – this is a result of referees being more hands off this year. And you're seeing like you, you saw it with the with the Turner Gobert thing where it's like, you know, there he thought there was a foul committed against him, and then he there was no punishment. So he kind of took it in his own hands and then went and started an attack. And that's kind of happened in both cases here. Do you guys think it's that? Do you think it's isolated? Do you think this is a trend we keep seeing? I guess, Eric, I'll start with you. On um, I think this is more of an isolated thing. I I don't look into it too much. I mean, every year in the NBA, there's always, you know, games where players are getting into scuffles or, like, fake fights where you, they act like they're they Jalen Ramsey and act like they're going to do something, but they don't. You know, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> just remembering that episode where we talked about the whole thing between him and Marcus Peters and Jalen Ramsey was like, "Oh, you want to go? You want to go?" And Marcus Peters is like, "Yeah, let's go." And Jalen they're holding me back, back, man. They're holding yeah. Me and Jalen Ramsey's like backing away as he's like, "We want to go." <laughs> yeah, because I mean, especially with like the Morris and Jokic one, I mean, Morris just kind of cowardly shoved him and won that shot which was really dumb I he had no need to do that and then Jokic like waited till Morris turned around and was walking away before he ran up and shoved him so I don't know I these guys sometimes act like they're super tough and all this but then nothing ever happens you know I don't know I maybe you know we got like two east and two west teams here but yeah I I would get a pay-per-view though to see like Marquise Morris and Rudy uh, and Miles Turner versus Jokic and Gobert or something. You know, give me a. Give I me think a I never wins match. that fight. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Jokic and Butler's too? Because there was like Jimmy Butler said, like, we'll meet you guys in the parking lot. And then Jokic's brothers, like, they came out and oh, yeah, I don't know if you've seen them. I mean, does any does, and all that? My thing is like, does anyone actually want to take on Jokic? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. It's just I. I think it's just a whole lot of nothing, in, in my opinion. Now, if this, like, keeps happening every game where this is happening, then this could turn into a problem. But I 
I just, you know, these guys obviously all have big egos and they get, you know, they have these heated moments and I don't think it's necessarily because of how the officials are calling the games. I mean, this seems to happen every year, at least a few times. So I, for me, this stuff isn't really a big deal as long as it doesn't start happening every game or something. Connor, do you agree okay. or disagree? Yeah, I mean, you're right. These players have big egos and, you know, they they said they want to act tough, but they're really not or, you know, something like that. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, it could be I would think a little bit more that they could be getting like frustrated with the officiating just because, I mean, this is that would be a thing for a whole nother episode. But, you know, the officiating across like sports these days has been kind of bad. I think kind of bad is being a little nice. Um, you know, yeah, the being generous. <laughs> I must say the officiating has kind of gone downhill recently. I mean, you know, I'm one of those people that I'm all for, like, you know, you want to have the human element and stuff, but you know, almost making me feel like sometimes we just need to have computers ref these things and, you know, always get these calls right. Cause I feel like the human error is happening more often. So I get being frustrated by the referees. Um, but yeah, I agree with Eric. It's probably isolated. You know, I don't see this happening really tough. And I think in the NBA, like, you know, I don't know. I feel like the NBA is one of those sports that, like, players, you know, if you want to talk about big egos in sports, I think their egos are the biggest of any sport. Like, there's some pretty big egos in the NFL, too, but I think the NBA, by far, has the biggest egos. So, you know, these players, they're good. Like, yeah. You think that's I, why? Oh, well, sorry, what did you say? I was saying because they make the most money out of all the sports, like average. Yeah, I mean, they make the most money. And I mean, if you just look at some of these players, like, you know, they have definitely some of the strongest personalities. I mean, if you just look at, you know, the NBA's poster boy, LeBron James, like his ego is the biggest on the planet. So, I mean, you know, it's, you know, when you're the head, when your face, you know, has an ego the size of LeBron James's, then it's going to trickle down, you know, at least in the NFL, like, you know, as much as I hate Tom Brady, like, he doesn't really have the biggest ego, per se. So, you know, maybe that is, um, it doesn't trickle down as much as it does with, like, LeBron James in the NBA. So it's going to happen, and, you know, who knows, maybe I'd be all for, you know, this is one of the reasons why I like hockey. You know, fights are legal in hockey, so I don't know. Maybe someone needs to start legalizing fights in the NBA, but, yeah, you know. Yeah, let, let them go at it and see, like, who really does have the balls, you know? Yeah, I mean, I was about to say. Because they're all like, oh, you want to go, you want to go. Like, who has, right, I mean, who has you know, the balls to actually throw you know, a punch or take okay. a punch, you know? Yeah, was, that's why I always like about hockey. Like, if two guys want to go at it, then, like, they let them go at it, you know? Because it's like, all right, you know, are you, you want to prove that you're tough? Then prove that you're tough. Because it, it is funny, too. I mean, you see it in the NHL where you have these people that are like, you know, because yeah, the same thing happens. Like, these players will act tough and, like, they look tough and they want to go, like, oh, yeah, you want to go, but then they won't drop their gloves. It's like, okay, like, yeah, uh huh, sure, whatever. You know, if you really had the balls, then you would have dropped the gloves with me, but you're not going to. So, um, I don't know. That's a different topic, though. I'm getting off topic. <laughs> hey, it was fun, though. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just think personally, two of these in one week, I, I think. It is, or I think the NBA is going to react. I think you are going to see. I think there's going to be like a memo or something to the referees, like, "Hey, if you see, you know, something ticky tacky, like call it now." Like, I do think that there is. Are they going to have an emphasis on something? You know, like the NFL's got the emphasis on taunting, and the NHL's got the emphasis on cross-checking this year. Like, is the NBA going to have an yeah. emphasis on like ticky-tack calls? <laughs> Yeah, there. No, the NBA's emphasis so far has been uh, 
not as many free throws and not as many of those shooting fouls. Yeah, that's, like, that's right. I remember, I remember seeing, um, you know, famous Twitter user Bulls got next. He he keeps. I kept seeing a lot of tweets from him complaining about how Harden wasn't getting the fouls he usually gets. Yeah. So that's, that's a big emphasis. Yeah, that's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with less fouls. No, no one wants to see 55 free throws a game between both teams and just running in and flailing around and. Get, so I'm I like that stuff. Oh, okay he touched me. Oh, he took a breath <laughs> on me. He found like no. <laughs> but I but I'm James Harden. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <But> dude. <laughs> All right, so that's the that's the on the court controversy. There's some some pretty big off the court ones too, which I'll get into first. And uh, unfortunately, this is uh, this is bad Trailblazers news. So. You know, not off to the greatest start record-wise, and also off the court, lots of turmoil, mystery going on, a lot of, you know, uncertainty, I should say, going on with the team. And this is still an ongoing thing. So it's like, right now we don't know the answers to everything, but basically in summary what's happened is their team CEO, Chris McGowan, he resigned this past week out of the blue, just resigned. And then also it was reported that Neil Olshay, the GM of the team, has been the GM for a while now. He survived the the firing of the head coach, the Terry Stotts firing. He's still the GM. He's always been seen like a cold figure, you know, and none of the Portland fans, for the most part, like Olshay. Um, Every, I think more people like Stotts. Stotts was a good human sort of thing. Olshay seen as like a, a rat sort of a deal. Like, <laughs> I, like that. I was like, I was like, where is this going? I was like, oh, no, no, I mean, that's what I would say. It's like, I, I you know, know. It, was just, it was just funny. I was like, where is this going? Like, he was seen as a good Stotts. human, and then like, this was like a, Stotts, as a like rat. A and then Olshay is like a rat, like you know, just a <laughs> rat on the team. Uh, real bad at the media, that sort of guy. But like he, you know, as a GM, he had his good and his bad. Um, but basically, the reason he's being brought up into this is because he's being investigated um, for like workplace harassment or something like that. Um, hostile work environment is what they're calling it. So it's like that can't be good. Like you know, whenever you're being under investigation for stuff like that, it's never good. Um, and then you have the CEO resign the same week and out of the blue. And there's a couple of theories. He hasn't really said why he's resigning. <laughs> but from what I've gathered, it's really like a power struggle sort of thing uh, with him. And he wasn't getting the control that he previously had wanted. So Jody Allen, who's the team's owner, took over when. Paul Allen, the former owner, uh, died. So Paul Allen, you know, the you know a couple of years ago died, passed along to Jody. Jody's much more of a hands-off owner, whereas Paul was much more, you know, living and breathing with the team sort of a thing. And Paul really liked McGowan. He he was his handpicked guy, and McGowan was like his golden boy like he was in charge of like all of his not all of his 
you know, sports stuff, but like he was involved in other, you know, sports associations that Paul Allen had, not just Trailblazers related. So when Jody Allen took over, that sort of stuff, you know, he kind of lost that responsibility. This season, I know the Trailblazers are having, you know, not as high of attendance. You know, their attendance has been down this year. There's, you know, the team hasn't been off to a great start. Like, there's lots of problems going on with the team. And it's just bad to see this happen. I, it, It's never good mid-season to see your team CEO leave. I know this isn't like, you know, this is why this is the off-the-court stuff. Like, this is, you know, it's a CEO, someone you wouldn't really think about. But still, it's not good. It's It's adding dysfunction. When anytime you see major management like this leave, and so I'm I'm really worried about where the team goes with this, and then even more importantly, team related like Olshay, what's going to happen with this workplace harassment? Who else is involved? How deep is this going to go? What's is it going to be a case where it's like, you know, he was misogynistic or racist or something like that? Like John Gruden you know, stuff. <laughs> Gruden stuff like is he going to be forced out in an ugly exit and then what's going to happen who's going to replace him as GM like Chauncey Billups is like he was he just got here like yesterday and now he's like the one in charge of everything basically is what it seems like so it's crazy the Blazers are going through a very tumultuous time right now and probably out of all the teams definitely have the most like controversy uncertainty hanging around them but just wanted to fill everybody in on that story. And then also lastly here, I'll just um, talk about this one for a brief second because I know this episode's gone on a little long, but um, Robert Sarver, the Philadelphia Suns owner. You the know, Phoenix he, Suns? <laughs> what, did I, what did I just you say? You said Philadelphia Suns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. See, this is what happens. Going on for a while, you know. Going on for a long time. But anyways... <laughs> Suns owner, uh, he's been he's like under investigation or whatnot for same similar thing, racist, misogynistic comments. I don't know where this one's heading. I mean, nobody does really, but I guess I'll just talk about the what ifs. Like, I'll guess we'll go to Eric. If this is all true, you know how badly is this going to impact the Suns and then Connor? If this, you know, is debunked and whatnot, like what sort of an impact would that be? So I guess Eric, we'll start with the the worst case scenario. And, yeah, I mean, uh, worst case true. scenario. If this is true, I mean, I know God, I can't remember his name, but I remember the um, the Donald Sterling, the the Clippers owner. Yeah, Donald. Yeah, Donald. Yeah, yeah, Donald. yeah, he had to sell the team, you know. So, um, you know, I don't know if this is going to be as serious as that but i mean if it's worth you know if it's worst case scenario you know if that's what we're talking then you know that that would obviously be it i mean if if he were to have to sell the team i mean that would just be insane so obviously like you know the investigation still has to go on and you know this still has to be proven and everything but you know, and obviously, I guess so. Also, depend on how severe is it. Like, would it be that severe where that would be the where he would have to sell the team, or would he just be heavily fined, or you know, draft picks taken away? What would they do? But I don't know. That's 
I haven't heard about this one as much as I have the Blazers one. So I don't fully know what's going on here, but, but yeah, that would be the worst case scenario there, I would think. But uh, Connor, what about you? Like on, you know, with, with your, with the questions that gave you, I mean, I feel like if it's debunked, then, I mean, I feel like just, it's going to be forgotten about. I mean, I feel like that's kind of the way these things go. Like there's a lot of, you know, media and speculation and then, you know, obviously, if it does come to fruition that this is true, then, like, you know, there's more stuff that happens. But, like, usually when it, it's been debunked, it just kind of goes away. Like, you know, everyone just kind of, especially for someone like him who's got as much money as he does, like, you know, it's not really going to affect him that much. Um, you know, there's always going to kind of be, like, this, you know, thing kind of hovering over him. Like, you know, oh, like, people are still going to call him a racist and whatnot just to be, like, you know, take a stab at him you know like people always do that for like ben roethlisberger they always like to call him a rapist you know even though he got both of those cases got dismissed because like they were proven to be false but people still call people still say that so you know um but other than that, like I said, it's just kind of gonna kind of gonna go away if it gets debunked but i know i really think the john gruden thing is really just kind of like you know it's having a carryover effect a lot of like the NBA and the NFL are really starting to look more into these sort of things and being like, oh yeah, like, you know, maybe we should take this more seriously and, you know, really start to, especially, especially the NBA, you know, as hard as they push that platform of, you know, I mean, like they were pushing it hard during the, you know, during the pandemic with the whole, you know, Black Lives Matter movement and all that stuff, you know, with how hard they're pushing it, then they really should be, if you know, something like this is going on, really taking it seriously. So, um, and it seems like they're starting to do that. So it's just something like, especially, I think, you know, um, like I said, if it gets debunked, I don't think anything will happen. But especially if it is true, then I don't know if that's going to start triggering like a lot more investigations. Because, you know, if it is proven to be true, not only like I said, we have John Gruden and now we have him, there's going to be a lot more, you know, things going around. And I think you're going to start seeing more people come out and start like, you know, because I'm sure it's probably happening in places that we're not even thinking of, but you know, it all, all it takes is that one person to actually get some sort of penalty for it. And now all of a sudden you open the gates for everything else. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But like I said, you know, back to Zach's question, if it gets debunked, I, it's just going to go away. Nothing's going to happen. All right. Yeah. That- that's going to wrap up the around the hoop in this episode. Good talk on every, all the topics guys really enjoyed it. And I believe Connor's hosting next episode. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Follow us on all the socials at clutch crew sport on Twitter. And until then guys, remember be clutch. Bye. Peace.